The scripture reading today is taken from Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let me let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height from the heaven. The Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I was going to invite Parker up. Parker, you, uh, you already beat me to it. That's fantastic. Uh, everybody, if you don't know him, this is Parker. Um, Parker has been at the church uh, I'm just, a year. A year. A year. A year. Uh, he's been an incredible blessing, I think, to everybody who's gotten a chance to, to meet him or to know him uh, here at the church. And not only that, but he's recently decided to join us in our ministry residency program, which, which is beginning now in September. Uh, so he and David Winfield will be joining uh, us uh, for the ministry residency. We can do a round of applause. That's okay. I saw Amy clapping. Um, so you can be... They'll have to spend a little bit more time with me so you can pray for them, uh, that they would have uh, uh, long-suffering and endurance uh, as needed. Um, no, we're really, really grateful for both of them, and we're throwing Parker in the deep end this morning because he's bringing the Word of God for us. So I'd just love to introduce, well, I've introduced him already, but to pray for him uh, as he opens up the Word of God. Is that okay? Can I pray for you? Yeah? Let's do that. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your Word that you've not left us uh, in the dark You've not even left us unable to express our deepest, most complicated emotions. Lord, you've guided us. 
Um, you've given us examples to follow uh, in the confusion and the darkness about putting our trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would speak through Parker, that you would use him to bless your church this morning. Lord, that you would use him as he unpacks your word and the Holy Spirit would use that word of God uh, to penetrate our own hearts, Lord. To, to give us hope in our dark places this morning. Um, to fill our eyes with Jesus Christ. Uh, to cause us to become a little bit more like him uh, in our own suffering. Lord, I just ask that you would bless Parker in this moment, that he would preach his heart out, but preach it for your glory, Lord, forgetting himself, forgetting even us, <laughs> and just doing this as an act of worship as unto you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brent, for those kind words and extension of thanks to the other elders for the opportunity to preach. And I feel like I don't really need to say anything after Amy read Psalm 102 so well for us. A good reading of scripture goes a long way. Well, not too long ago, I came across an advertisement for the country of Iceland. See, this advertisement was trying to tell people about all the open space that Iceland has to offer, that it's ripe for expeditions, so much space that's been yet to be explored, and you can go there and have the time of your life. And the ad was actually even trying to say that Iceland is the solution to all of your problems. It did it like this. Instead of just telling you passively that Iceland is the greatest place on earth, it wanted you to actually participate. So this ad encouraged the audience to shout into their computers or phones, and the advertisement would record your scream, all your pent-up frustrations, and they would play that advertisement on these loudspeakers placed in the wilderness of Iceland. Pretty catchy, right? So from your living room, you could be effectively shouting out your lungs into Iceland, into the wilderness, nobody around to hear you. Doesn't that feel good to give a shout every once in a while? I'm sure we've all been there, right? I'm sure we've all been there where you just, you just wanted to yell. You just, you just wanted to scream. Life was, was heavy, life was hard, and you, you just wanted to let it out. I've been there. I'm thankful the Lord has blessed me with a car that I can do that in when I'm driving and nobody is around to hear me. Now, there might be some therapeutic effect to that, to screaming when life is hard, but I, I wonder if this introduces a new problem. Okay, I, I get this is supposed to be a silly ad, but if we shout when there's nobody around to listen, where are we going to find help? Where are we going to find help if there is literally nobody around to listen? See, friends, pain in life is the great equalizer. We've all come here this morning from different postal codes with different employment, different marital statuses, different families, different griefs, different excitements. And the thing that we all share is pain. Some of us are more acquainted with grief than others, but we all share pain. Pain is a great common denominator and equalizer of life as humans here on this earth. And so the question before us this morning is this, who are we going to go to in pain? Are we going to go to the Icelandic wilderness? Or is, is there perhaps a better place? I think Psalm 102 has answers for us, so I hope that you have your Bible in front of you because we are going to get going. The first question that we're asking is simply this, where do we go when we're a pain? Where do we go? Before verse 1, you'll see that there's a bit of a title, and it says this, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before God. This is an afflicted person, and right away, we are on a different trajectory than that Icelandic advertisement, because the person who's afflicted is going right to God. This is the God of Israel, the covenant-keeping God. 
And the psalmist here, the author, the poet, is not even blushing about doing this. The first word out of the mouth is the Lord's covenant name, Yahweh. Hear my prayer. Let my cry come to you. No such thing as dear. No such thing as please. Not even a quick hello when there's a crisis. This is crisis mode. The Lord is needed and he's being called upon. And perhaps the worst thing that could happen in crisis mode is if the Lord were to turn his back. And that's why he says in verse 2, Do not hide your face from me. Don't ignore me. In the day of my distress, incline your ear to me. Don't turn away. Don't pay attention to somebody else. I need you. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. I need you and I need you now. You cannot delay. Lord, please come. That would be the worst thing is if the Lord were to turn his back. And so these opening verses answer our first and most important question. Where do we go when life hurts? When we're pressed down and struggling, overcome with grief, where are we going to go? We're going to go to God. See, God is the first consultant, not the last one. We don't put out RFPs when life is hard looking for help. We don't go shop around for the lowest price and then one day realize that that help isn't there. God is the first consultant, not the last one. He's the first source of help, not the second one. The Bible is teaching us that in first and foremost, when we're in our pain, we ought to run and run hard to God. How do we go? That's our next question. We go to God because he's the one who we cry out to help for. But how do we do that? Like, do we have to wipe the tears from our eyes and put on a nice set of clothes, wash your face, take a shower, and go talk to him politely? Is that how we go? Do we really need to do that? I mean, you might think if this is God of the universe talking, we got to show up a little respectable, don't you think? Actually, not the case. We can go to God by bringing all of our pain and hiding nothing. The Bible invites us, the Bible encourages us to go to God, bringing all of our pain and hiding nothing. These next verses, verses 3 to 12, give a very vivid description of this person's pain. And I, I want us to go slowly through this because I think, in fact, I know that there's pain voiced here that we share today. First type of pain is physical pain. Verse 3, for my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My bones are burning like a furnace. Hey, none of us left home this morning without our bones, right? Our skeletons supported us here. They kept us here. We don't go anywhere without our bones. And in the same way, the psalmist is saying, wherever I go, I have pain. Wherever I sit down, wherever I stand up, wherever I move around, this pain is persistent. It cannot leave me. I can't escape it. This is, this is a chronic pain. A chronic pain. Now, personally, I find my voice in these verses. And I'm certain I'm not alone here this morning. Now, I know I'm young and I haven't lived as many uh, days here on earth as some of you, but I've had my share of, of physical pain that for several times throughout the year keeps me up at night, sometimes for weeks on end, unable to sleep. And I know people in my life very close to me who have much, much worse physical pain. Are you hurting today? Is there something physical in your body that, that you just can't shake? that you just can't get rid of. You've seen doctor after doctor and there's no relief in this pain. If that's you, we're able to bring this pain to God. Now, 
in one sense, we're thankful that that's not the only pain that we can voice because we know that's not the only pain that we can suffer. Perhaps just as worse suffering is emotional pain, emotional distress. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. Gee, that is a dark, dark picture of a poet who's emaciated. They've lost all weight. They're just skin and bones. See, the poet here is using a a poetic device to refer to their anxiety. What you see there in verse 5, because of my loud groaning. Loud groaning doesn't literally cause bones to cling to flesh. We know that. But he's talking about the emotional distress, the anxieties that lead to loud groaning that makes him forget to eat his bread. Now, some of us here deal with anxiety, diagnosed or even undiagnosed anxieties. We all do. And and some of you know that if that's you, sometimes even the basic tasks of life feel like a mountain to complete. Getting out of bed, brushing your teeth, and taking a shower just feels impossible. That's exactly what's happening here. They have forgotten to eat their bread, and they are wasting away. They're held together simply by ligaments. You'd look at this person and look, oh boy, there is something wrong here. And yet there's even one more dimension that's invaded by these desperate situations, not just physical pain, not just emotional pain, but we see social pain here. Remember, how are we coming to God? We're coming to God by bringing all of our pain, hiding nothing. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. See, three times. Three times in two verses does the psalmist use an image of a solitary bird to describe themselves. Like a desert owl, like an owl the waste places, like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. This is mega, mega loneliness. They are alone. Desperately, desperately alone. And they're crying out to God saying, God, don't you see me here? It's like, you must see me here because I'm the only one here. There's nobody else around. I'm all by myself. There's nobody out here to comfort me in my pain. Nobody who understands. Not a single shoulder for me to cry on. God, don't you see? They're alone. And I wish that loneliness was confined to ancient times, but it's not. Now, we might not go to the same imagery of a bird to describe our loneliness, But Statistics Canada actually reported that last year, 30% of Canadians say they feel lonely sometimes and 10% say they feel lonely all the time. And I think that's the greatest miscalculation in the whole world. It's got to be more than that. Now, we all know what this is like. We've all gone through the pandemic. We've all had various lockdowns. So we can relate somewhat. Some of us, if you're like myself, may have loved being at home and not able to see people. (laughs) But others, it was horrible. And yet there are still some here today some here today where, where, where you still walk in those shoes. You still walk alone. You feel like you're all by yourself. That for one reason or another, it just doesn't seem like there's anybody who understands you. You, might be, you may have been in this church for years. You may be surrounded by family. You may have a spouse. You may have friends. Whatever it might be, yet you still feel alone. Maybe you've moved to a new city. Maybe you've tried everything and you just can't escape this loneliness. You're just all by yourself. It's a bitter, bitter pain. And 
a few weeks ago, I was talking to somebody who's close to me, my family, and they were telling me how alone they feel. And it was hard to hear, hard to see how alone this person is. And it made me weep for them. Now, if you're feeling alone this morning, this is probably not the way that you want to feel included, but I'm telling you this, you're not alone in feeling alone, that this condition has existed ever since ancient times, and loneliness even has a voice amongst God's word. A poet of God also felt alone, just like you do. Now, this poet here is alone because they have enemies tearing them down. Verse 8, all the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. Now, you might not have enemies who are trying to attack you and tear you down. Maybe even, but maybe even on your darkest days, you just wish somebody would know your name. That even if they would use your name as a curse, you'd say, at least they know who I am. And so with this kind of pain, we can bring it to God. Bring our emotional pain, our physical pain, and our social pain. How are we coming to God, friends? We can come to God pouring it all out, hiding not an ounce of our suffering. See, the adage that maybe you've heard before that we should check our baggage at the door and come into worship is not found anywhere in the Bible, friends. That's very, very anti-biblical. Our pain deserves a seat at the table. We can unpack it all. There's a saucer for the cup of our pain. There's a parking spot for the truck of baggage that we bring in here today. There is. And we can bring it to God. Now, we can be honest about this. When we go through this type of pain, and even in the types of pain that I haven't mentioned, like the loss of a loved one, loss of career ambitions, loss of education, loss of a relationship, whatever it might be. When, when we can bring all this pain, we often find that it's disorienting, isn't it? Sometimes pain hurts so badly that we don't know what's up and down, what's left and right, and what's light and what's dark. We just, we just don't know where to go. And when we voice it, that is especially true. And so the question then is, is there hope for us when we're suffering like this? Is there any hope when we voice our pain? When it's so severe, when it's so dark, it is normal that we go to ask deep questions about the cause and reason of our suffering. And some of these questions are honest. In fact, most of them are, because they're born out of the furnace of affliction. We ask, why, God? Why? What's the point of all this? Where are you? And that can be disorienting. That's what the psalmist does. In fact, the psalmist gets to these conclusions in verses 9 to 11. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, talking to God. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like the grass. Now, I wrestled with this deeply this week. Now, this is a bitter statement to attribute the suffering to God. But before we get too bogged down by this, I want to point out two things. First is this. This pain is disorienting. This psalmist has clouded glasses. It's not saying that their perspective is unvalid, but they're overwhelmed, they're overcome with grief. And second, th second thing I would say is this. The psalm doesn't end here. Of all the psalms in the Bible, there's only one lament psalm, Psalm 88, that ends dark, and we're not going to go there today because I'm not preaching on it, so we'll just stick with this one. But the psalm doesn't end there, and I'm not trying to eliminate the difficulty of what this text says. There's a time and a place for questioning how God relates to pain and suffering, and I'm not going to do that right now. 
But what's important to see is this, that this psalmist, they do have clouded glasses. They've become unglued. It feels like everything they know about God's love and care has completely drifted away with the tide, or actually better yet, as they say in verse 11, I am withering away like grass. Maybe you feel that today. Maybe there was a time in your life where you you knew God. You were anchored to him like he was your best friend. He was so close to you, to him. You walked so near to him. You knew his love. And now for whatever reason, you, you don't even know, you don't even know if there's a line there anymore. You, you, you're questioning the matters of your life have been so overwhelming that you don't even know where God is. And so the question is, do we have hope in those moments? Because when we become untethered, we need to be anchored. When we have clouded glasses, we need to see clearly. When we don't have hope, we need hope. And that's good news for people who feel like that because Psalm 102 doesn't end. Now, sometimes we don't have the strength to do this ourselves and we have to depend on a trusty friend. But what we need when we're disoriented is to be reoriented. We need to turn to God. And that's exactly what the psalmist does in verses 12 to 22, that they confess hope in God. We've seen, where are we going? We're going to God. How are we going? Bringing all of our pain, hiding nothing. And now, where do we find hope? We find hope in the everlasting and faithful, compassionate and praiseworthy God that we serve. We find hope in our God's everlasting and faithful nature, his compassionate heart, and his praiseworthiness. Now, let me say this very upfront and very clear. This next section has a massive change of tone. Let me start reading. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. It feels like, great, all the pain's behind us. But that's actually not the case. This confession of hope is still done in the context of suffering. Look at this, verse 12, uh, verse 13. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come for your servants. Hold, presently, hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Now, this is likely a reference to the exile, a time in 6th century where there is a foreign invasion of God's people. Uh, many reasons, we won't get into all of them, but a foreign nation came in and completely sacked the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and the people were left wondering, where is God? Like, where is he? That's what the psalmist is probably reacting to. And in this confession of hope, notice that they are presently holding the stones dear. Those stones that once built up the city walls and built up the temple, they are holding them. They are sitting in the dust while they say these words. Verse 15, nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion, he appears in his glory. Verse 17, he regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. They're still destitute, folks. They're still hurting and they're still suffering. So that's important to see that this confession of hope is still done in the context of suffering. But I want us to see three parts to this this confession of hope. Verses 11 and 12 tell us of God's everlasting and faithful nature. While the, the author's life is short and fading, the Lord's life is long and everlasting. I want you to feel this one-two staccato punch of the poetry here. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. Such a stark contrast between us who are weak 
and failing and fading away in the Lord who stands forever and confessing hope in God like that means this, that we choose to reorient ourselves around the God who will outlive our pain even though we may not. It feels like our pain gets the worst of us. Sometimes it does. Sometimes the pain that we have, we carry to the grave. But confessing hope in God is looking to the Lord who will outlive our pain. Now, that's not good news on its own. It's not good news to know that a God will outlive our pain, but it's good news when we know that that God is faithful to his promises. The Lord's personal name in all caps, as you see in verse 12, the Lord who's promised to be merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, stands forever. He has an everlasting and faithful nature. And that leads quite naturally into this next part about the Lord's compassionate heart. Verse 13, you will arise and have pity on Zion. Pity, you're showing compassion, the Lord is. The Lord is hearing the prayer of the destitute and building up what was once destroyed. That's what the Lord is doing. But let's go further. Let's read verses 18 to 22. Look at this with me. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners. Remember that opening line of the psalm, Lord, hear my prayer, let my cry come to you. The psalmist is confessing that that cry did come to the Lord. But the Lord doesn't just stop at passive hearing. He doesn't just say, oh, cool, you're struggling. Nice. To hear the groans of the prisoners, verse 20. To set free those who were doomed to die. What business, friends, what business does an eternal God have regarding the prayer of destitute and weak people like us? I mean, he made us out of nothing. Why should he regard us? Like, what's the point? What business does this God have caring about us? It's a God who's at his very heart is compassionate towards us, who loves us who cares for us even in the depths of our pain. Our God is compassionate. And this, friends, is incredibly good news for weak and suffering people like us, that our God is not, he's not too great to notice you. Sometimes you might feel like you've fallen through the cracks, that God goes every day without giving you a thought. But that's not true at all, that, that, that God's eye is upon you just like not a single one of the stars is missing, as Isaiah says, not a single one of us are missing before God. He sees us in our pain and moves in compassion. And he does that because he, because he is passionate for his own praise. Look at verse 21 and 22. There's a purpose behind all of this. Verse 21, that they, these people who were set free from death, would declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. The Lord is passionate for his own praise. And I, I, I will hear you if you're thinking, well, gee, this sounds a bit like an egomaniac God that he just wants me to praise him in, in my pain. Like, I don't want that. I want just to be freed from this pain. And if that's you, I get you. I get it. But that's not where the Bible goes because look at carefully at the context. God has set free these people from death. 
Our Lord has given us eternal life in Jesus Christ. A God who sets us free from death is worthy of our praise. And this is where God's great glory, his passion for his own name and our good come together, that they're not at odds, that where God tries and does glorify himself, we find our great good in meeting his compassion, in meeting his love, in meeting his grace and his faithfulness. This is all part of the reorientation reorientation that sets us on the right path. So where are we finding hope? Behold your God, Christ City, the everlasting and faithful, compassionate and praiseworthy God that we serve. He moves towards us even the depths of our pain. If that was the end of Psalm 102, I think we would be okay. You could close it up and call it there and say, this sounds great, but that's actually not where Psalm 102 ends. Because verse 23 and 24, there's another plot twist. Verse 23, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. And this just goes to show what we saw earlier, that this is all done in the context of suffering. But why? Let's ask the question, why return to this lament after we confessed hope in God? Like, it seemed like we reached the pinnacle. It seemed like we reached the summit, that God is great, he loves me, but now we're back down in the depths of despair. Why? That's actually not the only place we can read about this in Psalm 102, because the whole of the book of Psalms tells this exact story. Now, you might be surprised to hear this, but the book of Psalms actually tell a story that they're arranged in a specific way. And this part that we find ourselves in, in Psalm 102, is one massive reorientation, because this is what happened. If you read Psalm 88 and 89, some of the darkest Psalms in the whole book, they ask the question about the exile, where is God? God made promises to King David that there would be a king on the throne in, in Jerusalem forever. And now, because of the exile, there's no king. Where is God? Have his promises been void? And then Psalm 93 to 100 come, and they are soaring. They are magnificent. They declare that God alone is king, and we can rejoice in him. But then we come to Psalm 102, and again, we're back down into lament. You see, we go down and up, and then back down. Psalm 102, verses 23 and 24, we've gone down, we're up, and now we're back down again? Why? I think it tells us this. I think it tells us that pain in life is not secondary, but pain in life is primary. That pain in life is central. Why does it go back into the voice of lament? Because lament is central to the life of faith. That you and I, as we live in this universe, the very fabric that holds it together is marred by brokenness, sin, and the forces of evil. We're bound to experience pain time and time again. And so I'm not here to tell you that lament psalms, like Psalm 102, are your ticket out of suffering. That's not what we're talking about here. This is not your ticket out of suffering, but they are your ticket to constant reorientation when that suffering happens again. Because let's, let's face it, some of us know this. It's when we enter that dark pit again and again and again that is perhaps the hardest. 
First cancer diagnosis hurts. It's bitter and it's painful. But when it returns again, that's hard. When, 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 when she already struggles with a chronic illness and then she falls and breaks her other kneecap again and again, when his back has been hurting painfully, not able to work, finally thought he was in the clear and hurts his back again and sidelined for another year, that's pain. Going up and down again into the depths of pain is perhaps the worst. And this is what Psalm 102 tells us, that even when we return to the depths of pain, we have a God who is there with us. We might go through the depths of pain our whole life. We might never get out of it the other side in this life, and that's okay because our God is there with us. God is not moving away from us in the hour of our deepest need, but he is, friends, moving towards us. This is what it means to lament well. And lastly, let's ask this question. Why should we bother with lament psalms then? Like, if, if it's not going to take away our pain, why should we bother? Well, let me, let, me, let me underscore the point of this reorientation. Two reasons why we should use lament psalms. We should lament in this way because lamenting forces us to ask the question, not will God heal, but when will God heal? Did you, you catch the difference? In our pain, we ask the question of of will. Is it even possible? Can God heal? Can he restore? Can he bring relief? But the Bible actually forces us to ask a different question. Not will, but when. Baked into that question, the very ingredients for that recipe, is hope in God that God one day will bring relief and healing. That's how Psalm 102 ends. Verse 25, look with me. Of old you, O Lord, laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Verse 26, they will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. One day, you know, in the winter, we take off our raincoats, no problem, and go inside. God's going to do that with the whole created order. It's not going to be a problem for him. He can do that. He will outlive it all. Verse 27, but you are the same and your years have no end. And here's the the final note. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Though all of that will wash away, we won't be that there is hope in God. If you've read much of the New Testament, you may have read Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4. Let me read this for you. Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be their God, with God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be grieving, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For these former things have passed away. Is this not the same hope that Psalm 102 offers us? The hope that one day it will happen? Someday as we, as we journey through this life, um, the kingdom of God breaks through and there is healing, there is relief, there is recovery, there is blessing after curses. We do get that sometimes and we rejoice, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And even though it might not happen now, it will happen one day. It will happen one day. And so we ask the question, when is God going to heal? And last thing, let me finish with this. We should lament because our Lord and Savior himself lamented. 
Does it surprise you that on the cross, when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he said, into your hands, I commit my spirit, that he wasn't making those up. He was quoting directly from Psalm 22, verse 1, and Psalm 31, verse 5. Our Lord and Savior on the cross, in the moment of his deepest need, when he was dying and being condemned for us, cried out to God in lament psalm. He used them. And if the lament psalms carried Jesus through his darkest pain because he wasn't abandoned ultimately by God in death, that God raised him from the grave three days later unto new life, that those lament psalms and that God who he prayed to, that father, did not abandon him in his deepest need, then we have exactly that same hope. And our hope is even sweeter than that because that Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we read earlier, is right there with us. He's holding our hands. He is present and lamenting on our behalf. Jesus is interceding for us. And when we cry out and lament, Jesus laments on our behalf. He understands our pain. He understands our weaknesses. And so, friends, this week, when you go through this week, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe there's something reoccurring, but maybe some crisis will come up this week. I hope it doesn't. But if it does, Jesus is right there with you that he is there with you, he is there holding hands, that when you shed tears, he also, in love and compassion for you, has tears on his face. This is good news. This is good news. Turn to Psalm 102 this week, friends. Let me encourage you. Turn to Psalm 102 when life is hard. So when life is hard, we could shout to the wilderness of Iceland, and that's really not going to do us any good. You didn't need me to tell you that. But when life is hard, we can go to God, bringing all of our pain and hiding none of it. Because it's in him that we find hope. Find hope in his everlasting and faithful nature, his compassionate heart, and his praiseworthiness. Because he will carry us through to the end, into eternity future. Let's pray. Father, our lives are hard. We don't know why, we don't know how, we don't know where, but they are hard. We have pain that we carry with us today. And many of us here may have had things surface in our hearts and in our minds today that hurt. You are there for us and with us. And when it's hard to see that, would you give us eyes of faith to see? Spirit of God, would you be at work in us this week that we would turn to you in our lament and in our pain, that we'd reorient ourselves around you. Help us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.